Hi, this is Pastor Emily McGinley from Urban Village Church, Hyde Park, Woodlawn. If you've been to UVC, you'll know that we seek to be three things, bold, inclusive, and relevant. We know that there are countless folks across the country and out there in podcast land like yourself, seeking a message that will bring insight, hope, encouragement, and joy as we do this thing called faith. Please consider making a financial gift to help us with this work of inspiring, equipping, and sending out agents of gospel life and inclusive love. Just go to www.urbanvillagechurch.org forward slash give. Thanks for listening, and God bless. Our passage today comes from Exodus chapter 3, 13 through 15. Listen to what God is saying to us. But God said to Moses, If I now come to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your ancestors has sent me to you, they're going to ask me, What's this God's name? What am I supposed to say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. So say to the Israelites, I am has sent me to you. God continued, Say to the Israelites, The Lord, the God of your ancestors, Abraham's God, Isaac's God, And Jacob's God has sent me to you. This is my name forever. This is how all generations will remember me. May God add a blessing to the understanding of the scripture. So this past week, uh, the official portraits, this is where I would use a screen, um, the official portraits of uh, former President Barack Obama and First Lady Michelle Obama were unveiled. Maybe you saw it. If you didn't, then quickly Google it. It's everywhere. And they're stunning pieces, in my opinion, distinct in their own right, but uh, even more so if you kind of lay them out uh, next to all of the official portraits of former US presidents and first ladies. Lots of people had opinions about them. Um, Some didn't get the backdrop of foliage, curling and ground and creeping around the edges of uh, President Obama's figure. Um, But I think the strongest opinions um, were reserved for Michelle Obama's portrait. People complained that the face on the portrait did not look like hers, or that her skin was depicted in gray tones rather than true to life, something that just feels a little wrong or off when it comes to the first um, black first lady. And as I read uh, reflections on Mrs. Obama's portrait, there was one analysis in The New Yorker that stood out to me. The author talked about the ways that Mrs. Obama had been repackaged during the first term election cycle. How there was this de-emphasis on her background as a lawyer, how her strength and the sharpness of her intellect had been contoured and softened in order to present her as a more likable and kind of broadly accessible figure. And so, so she went from being double Ivy graduate, Barack's mentor, vice president at an elite university to mom-in-chief, home vegetable garden planner, grooving guru of the Let's Move Fitness campaign. Like most firsts, the fullness of Michelle Obama receded. She became less of an individual and more of a symbol, an image, someone that little girls of color could look upon and see, as she said herself at the portraits unveiling, an image of someone who looks like them hanging on the wall in a great American institution. I know, she said, I know the impact that will have on their lives because I was one of those girls once. Now many of you know that Michelle is the descendant of slaves. You might also know that in Rex, Georgia, there's a monument in honor of Melvinia Shields, her great, 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 great grandmother. 
Now, Melvinia gave birth to several children, one of them named Dolphus, and Dolphus moved to Birmingham to begin a carpentry business. He also co-founded the First Ebenezer Baptist Church and Trinity Baptist Church there, where he supervised Sunday school for both churches. Dolphus then had a son named Robert, who was a laborer and a railway porter. And Robert had a son, Purnell, who arrived in Chicago during the Great Migration. And Purnell had a daughter named Marion, who in turn had a daughter named Michelle Robinson. Now, Michelle Obama has cleared more hurdles than many public figures, rising higher and higher on the dais of public visibility and likability. But in that process, she had to hide more and more of herself. She will never not be Michelle LaVon Robinson Obama, but when you study the portrait with this in mind, you study the face that is hers, but not hers, right? How it's her, but it's much more than her. You realize that she is a symbol of much more than a singular person with a story. She is a symbol of all that carried all the people, impossibly from generation to generation, to this portrait that now hangs in a Smithsonian gallery. Michelle Obama is herself, and yet she is so much more than herself. And so what does that have to do with anything, and especially our passage for today? Well, all of this was kind of in conversation with my spirit as I meditated and reflected on our passage for this morning over the week. I was struck by the way this exchange between God and Moses unfolds. The bush has burned, God has called out, and Moses has leaned in. Moses, God says, I have seen my people's oppression and heard their cry for justice. I'm sending you to bring them out of Egypt. And Moses' first question is, who am I? And God says, it doesn't matter. I got you, right? And this leads to another question. Well, then who are you, right? (laughs) Moses explains, now, if I come to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your ancestors has sent me, they're going to ask me, what's this God's name? What am I supposed to say to them? And you have to wonder whether this is the first time that anyone has asked God, point blank, what's your name? Because God sort of fumbles for the right way to phrase this. Because I am who I am means everything and sort of somehow at the same time nothing, right? What do you mean, I am who I am? Now, some scholars think that God's being coy or willfully mysterious, and others think of it this way, that if you give your name to someone, um, then it's a way of kind of giving them power over you. So God doesn't respond directly in this way. And now, those folks are people who have a lot more letters behind their names um, than myself, but, well, I just don't know if that's entirely true. And after all, what do any of us know about this really anyway, right? So here's what I think. I think that God is trying to figure out how to help Moses grasp and hold something that his mind wasn't built to hold and grasp. Because how do you take something that is beyond our capacity for measurement, a someone that is so much everything that they somehow also are no thing, and then tuck it into a name, right? Jenny just doesn't cut it. So, so God comes at it a different way, a way that I think reveals a lot about both who God is and who God wants to be with and for Israel. God chooses this Hebrew word, hayah, which means to be, which in case... I know you're thinking uh, it must be related to that word that, com- that uh, becomes the name of God in Hebrew, Yahweh, right? Hayah, Yahweh. Well, you're right. Um, my name, God says, is to be. I'm the essence of being, the essence of life. Got it? Not really. <laughs> because even in using simple words, it's still just like too big. The concept is too big. So God tries a different angle. God boils it down just a little more, fits it into a framework that makes a little more sense for them. God hooks it into a very specific kind of knowledge and experience. Okay, let's try it this way. 
I am the God of Israel's ancestors, Abraham's God, Isaac's God, and Jacob's God. And there, God has become companion and sustainer and lover and kindness and big vision and ancestral purpose. Oh, I totally know you. Why didn't you say that in the first place, right? And God is like, okay. So who is God, right? That's what we're thinking about today as we begin this new sermon series um, for Lent, focusing on prayer. How should I pray? It's a question that I hear a lot, and as it turns out, it's not a new question. In fact, we, every time we send a survey out um, at UVC about kind of areas that people would like to grow in, prayer is always at the top of the list. And both in Luke and in Matthew, Jesus tell, teaches his followers how to play, pray because that's also a question on their mind. A format and a flow of words that most Christians have come to recognize as the Lord's Prayer or the Our Father, a prayer with five movements, as I mentioned earlier. There's the invocation or address, the remembrance, the ask or petition, the aspiration, and the closing or the amen. Again, it would be helpful to have a screen for this, right? Um, so, but we're going to go through those um, each of the week, uh, each week. And so today, we're beginning at the beginning, the invocation, which means we're talking about who we're talking to. Who is God? Well, if we take this morning's passage as our guide, here's what we learn. God is all things, and God is a specific thing. God is far, and God is near. God is big, and God is small. God is back then and will be and everything else, but also, most importantly for us, God is now, and God is here. God is all of this and more. This is what I am is eternally, forever, and always. And so in light of what God uh, revealed to Moses, here are a few ways I thought would help us kind of begin to, to wrap our minds around this and make, and, and make it a little bit more real in our lives. So my disclaimer, of course, is that this is just one way to slice the pie, okay? There have been generations and dissertations and essays and volumes and books of scrolls and floppy disks that have tried to get at this question. So this is my humble, bite-sized contribution to the ocean of thought that already exists. I'll start big, and then I'll go small. So the first thing that God reveals in uh, this conversation with Moses is that God is essence. I've already kind of talked about this. I am means I am what it means to be. I am all the elements that create the state of existence. I am the source of life, and I am life itself. I'm the, I'm the lifeblood that runs through your veins without your thinking about it. I'm the cords of connection that are formed when you have a long conversation with a friend late into the night. I am that spark when you see that someone. I am the thought processes and the inspirations and the new ways of seeing and experiencing the world. I'm that rising wave that wells up and brings tears to your eyes when the music peaks and the gratitude overwhelms. I am the past and I am the future. And, and this brings me to the second aspect of God, which is the present. I am now. The second thing that God reveals is that God is present. God self-describes as I am, not I was or I will be. I am. And this is where you sort of have to loosen your brain tangles a little bit to wrap your mind around this. No matter what point of Earth's timeline you find yourself, what age you are, or what season of life you find yourself in, God is there and God is here. Because time doesn't work the same way that God, uh, with God as it does with you and I, right? And I've shared this with some folks. I'm still trying to um, work this out, but I've got it worked out this, this, thus far, so I'm sharing it with you. We are a time-bound people, right? We have a beginning and we have an end. Ash Wednesday is that reminder that we will have an end. 
um, on this earth. And in many ways, that, so that's what we were kind of trying to remind people um, as we were ashing them on the streets. You only have so much time on earth, so what are you going to do with it, right? That's us. But God is free of all of that. Because all of time is present to God. God is present here and now, just as God is also present with Moses, there, what, for, what for us is there and then. But it is also here and now for, for God. And other than being like a really cool and slightly psychedelic concept, right, it also means that God isn't way out there, right? It means that God is right here and right now, regardless of when right here and right now is happening. And this leads me to my third point, that, that God is specific. When the whole I am thing is just too big for Moses, right? God, like I said, God boils it down to something very specific, something very embodied and real and deeply meaningful in a particular way. I am the God of your ancestors, Abraham's God, Isaac's God, and Jacob's God. You ever heard of them? God may well be everyone's God, but God is also the God of some very specific people who showed up in some very specific ways. The kind of relationship that God wants to have with Moses and with Israel is not one of being way up there, out of reach and out of touch. God desires something closer and much more personal. So God shows up in closer and more personal ways. This is what God did through Jesus, right? This is what our, our table reminds us of, that God shows up closer and in more personal ways, embodied and fleshed ways. When God and Moses started this conversation, God didn't just say, I'm going to free my people, right? No, God went in deep. God said, I have clearly seen my people oppressed in Egypt, and I have heard their cry of injustice because of their slave masters. I know their pain. I've come down to rescue them from the Egyptians in order to take them out of the land and bring them to a good and broad land, a land that's full of milk and honey, a place where the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites all live. That is, like, really, really specific, right? And so what does that have to do with prayer? Well, remember we're talking about the invocation, right? Upon whose name are you calling? It's fine for you to say, dear God, or our mother who art in heaven. Or, but whenever you call on God as you pray, think about who it is that you're calling on. What is the essence of being that you are tapping into? What does it mean that God is present and specific in your life? It might be something like, dear God who showed up for me that time when I was in third grade and reminded that I wasn't alone. Or, dear God, who I don't really personally know, but I have seen sustain my mother through deep pain and trials. Or, dear God, I'm not sure who you are, but Pastor Emily says that you're there, and I see your spirit at work in the people at church. (laughs) Dear black God, who understands what it means for my life to matter. Dear female God, who knows what it means to be demeaned in unexpected moments and on guard, at all times. Dear God, who is transcendent in personhood and cannot have a pronoun because all you already take three different forms. 
dear, undocumented God who knows what it's like to have no place to call home. Dear God who brought enslaved people out of Egypt and who made a way out of no way. Dear God of the big promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Who is God to you? Who has God been for the people around you, before you? This is what we're talking about when we're talking about calling on God's name at the beginning of prayer. Who is God to you? So you should have a a slip of paper, another slip of paper in your worship guide, this long, slim one here. And think for a moment, who is God to you? There's no right answer. Or there's no wrong answer, sorry. There's no single answer, sorry. There's no single answer. So who is God to you? What is the essence at this moment, very specifically, that you know God to be? Dear God who got me out of bed this morning, right? Who do you need God to be at this moment? Drew talked about provider earlier. Think about this and write this name or description down on that slip of paper. If you need a pen, you can wave your hand, and um, Alyssa or John will be able to pass that to you. So we've got a couple over there. So think about it and write this name or description down on that slip of paper. And then in a few minutes, um, later on in the service, uh, I'm going to invite you to put, I'd like to invite you to put that slip of paper in the offering basket as it goes by. And then over the next week, we'll try to incorporate some of the names um, that folks have, have written down. So take a few minutes to think about that. Who is God to you? The God that we pray to is in our personal wish-granting genie, malleable to our desires and wishes. And yet God is not dispassionate to our needs and the realities that we face. Not because God can't, but because God doesn't want to, right? The God of the universe could surely ignore our pain and keep the world turning, right? But that's not who God wants to be. God wants to incline an ear to our cries of pain and oppression, our deep wounds, and our hopes and dreams. God wants us to see us through to liberation and fullness of life. God invites us to call on God's name, whether it is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, or the God of Melvinia, Dolphus, Robert, Purnell, Marion, and Michelle. The name of one who leaned in, close, reached out, and raised up. Let us pray. God, we thank you that you see us. We thank you that you desire to be close, to help us live into fullness of life. And we thank you that you allow us to call you by name, in whatever way you are revealing yourself to us in this moment. So I ask God that even as we try to pray in the way that we are taught to pray by your son Jesus, that that we also might lean into and live into the creativity that you give to us when you invite us into that great expanse of I am. Free us up to be able to call you by name because we know, God, that for so long, And forevermore, you will continue to call us by name. In Jesus' name we pray.